Scoobies, Alba up at the top here to give you guys a brief content warning on the episode you're about to listen to. Just to tell you that this episode does have spoilers through season seven, so up to you whether or not you want to listen. And I just wanted to give a brief content warning on some themes that we touch on while discussing this episode. We don't go too deep into these themes in particular, but we do touch upon them. So if they're very triggering to you, here is your warning. We talk about alcohol and drug abuse. We also mention white supremacy and police violence, mental health, and we do discuss sex trafficking. So there's your content warning uh, before getting into this episode. Also, comically, Mac and I forgot to let everybody know where you can find us while we were recording. I think we just got really excited and we're pretty tired by the end of this. So you can find me at alba.daza on Instagram and at albadaza.com. You can find Mac at Mac Mac Talks Back on Instagram and on Twitter. That's M A C K M A C Talks Back. And uh, yeah, if you like this episode, if you like what you hear, you can support the work that we do over there within Buffering and in our own private lives. So excited to share this with you and hopefully see you at that Instagram live on Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. Hi, Mac. Hey. <laughs> How's, How's it going? going? Jinx. <laughs> Personal jinx lock. <laughs> All right. So today we have a very special episode where Mac and I will be discussing the BIPOC experience experiences of invisibility imposed by society and metaphors where we can find that in Buffy and episodes that we can compare our own personal experiences uh, reflected in the magic, the monsters, the storylines and narratives of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Also, it's uh, a deep dive into maybe some of the less obvious bits of invisibility than what is normally talked about. So we're going to be talking about the denial of BIPOC reality. So the denial often of racism that exists Uh, The denial of the society that we have to confront versus white people, what it feels like to be a person of color living in a society that was not designed for us to thrive. The denial of our existence when we move through society and feel like people literally don't look at you, don't acknowledge that you exist. And then we're also going to talk about denial of... And by denial, I mean like den- like society's denial, you know, the the, the system's denial in, in all of these different areas. So the denial that our work is valid, that we are constructive members of society, and that we have anything to, anything to contribute because white supremacy tells us that people of color don't have anything to contribute, that we don't work hard, and that the work that we do is not as valuable as it truly is. Right? Is that a good way of putting it, Mac? That's actually an excellent way of putting that. A plus. Thank you so much. I'm so <laughs> flattered. <laughs> I worked really hard on this. <laughs> it shows. Um, 
And I, I also want to preface this. I was thinking a lot about before we were recording and after everything that happened in the States and, you know, everything that's been going on since June, that this episode isn't just to educate white people. Like, this was really an opportunity that Buffering gave us. They were like, have an episode. Like, do whatever you want. And it's not just to educate white people. It's also just to share our experiences to have solidarity between you and I, right, Mac, and like talk about things that we don't get to talk about. When people talk about Buffy, they don't talk about this. They don't talk about generally our experiences. And hopefully there are other people, BIPOC listeners, who hear this and can relate and feel seen. Uh, I apologize. We apologize if we miss anything. Please email us and let us know. Super here to listen and learn and uh you know, our obviously our experiences are not everyone's experiences, and this is all in degrees depending on what kind of person of color you are. Yeah, um, I yeah, I also just want to add too that like like I said previously, it's it's about talking about the some of the less spoken about types of invisibility, but also too it's who's framing the narrative, and I think that's what's important about this conversation is like two women of color framing the conversation about the invisibility versus a lot of hoity-toity critics we can all name uh, framing the conversation about visibility. (laughs) So we're going to talk about different episodes, but all of these topics, you know, denial of reality, denial of existence, denial of uh, value, they're all interchangeable and connected. And it's really kind of impossible to talk about one without talking about the other. And when we do talk about certain episodes, they will, you know, they will reflect different aspects of of invisibility, even if we were, like, focusing on one specific topic. Um, as we go through these, I actually have the transcript of them. And there's a website, transcripts.foreverdreaming.org, where a lovely, lovely human being has transcribed every single episode of Buffy. Uh, so if, like, me, while talking... It's, like, really helpful to be able to go back and see the actual exchange. Transcripts.foreverdreaming.org. Um, and you can just search by title, and it go- it's in order by season, so. Hell yeah, that's awesome. So what struck me so much was we were actually going to do, like, a full watch of season one and just talk about season one. So it took us, like, a while to get to this topic because I thought, like, oh, season one, like, there's not that much. There's, well, there's the pack and there's, well, I was like, that's the main episode that is, like, super problematic in season one. But then I was watching it through the lens of, you know, my experience as a person of color. And I was like, whoa, there is so much here that I never noticed before because I didn't look at it through that lens. And the thing that stuck out to me the most and like, welcome to the Hellmouth and the Harvest is that like there's the Scoobies and they live in this reality where they know that there are monsters and demons and vampires Well, at first just vampires, but they know that there's vampires and that there's evil in the world, like supernatural evil. And nobody else wants to acknowledge that. And that they have this like secret little club where they're like, reality is fucked. How do people not know this? And they have to like go and live and fight this specific thing while everybody else kind of gets to live in denial and think that, like, everything is fine. When clearly, obviously, it is very, very much not fine. Like, zero. Like, it's not even not fine. It's, like, negative fine. Like- <laughs> 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 um, but what I also find interesting about it initially 
is A, these kids go for the okie doke and are like, yeah, this tracks. Like Xander and Willa are like, yep, okay, this is fine. Like they have too chill of a reaction. Like Cordelia, as much as we like to trash talk Cordelia sometimes for the way she behaves in the first like season or so, Cordelia has a really reasonable reaction (laughs) to like vampires. She does. But I think part of it, it speaks to Willow you know, being somewhat of an outcast. She's very smart. She's very mousy. She's very meek. She's someone that people look over. Xander in his own head is just not masculine enough. He <laughs> And like Buffy's like, you can't come with me. I'm the slayer and you're not. And he's like, I knew you were going to throw that back in my face. And it's like, bro, it's literally just a fact. Like it doesn't say anything about you. Literally only Buffy is the slayer. How is this about you now? And you like being a man, I'm I'm putting air quotes for people who can't see me, but like ridiculous. Yeah. And so like, I think it's their already their sense of invisibility that makes them okay with being like, yeah, sure. Vampires. That makes perfect sense <laughs> considering how everyone else in, in school acts. So I think that's also an yeah, interesting it, type of invisibility. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's also Cordelia's privilege, like that she gets to live this kind of charmed life that allows like for the level of shock that she goes through when she's like, oh, wait, things are not perfect. Like, things are not good. There's different levels of response according to where they stand in the society of their school, at least in the show. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting that someone who's as hyper-visible in Southern California as a 15-year-old blonde girl um, is our intro into this world of the unseen um, and, like, Mm. dark power. And I'm like... Very interesting. Somebody who would find it incredibly hard to be on the fringe and the edges and not draw attention to herself. Yeah. And something else I thought was really interesting about all of this is that she can't even tell people that this is the reality because people will think she's crazy. Like no one will believe her basically. And isn't that such a reflection of racism? Even like when people will talk about – listen – I had this experience, oh my God, on this film set where we were talking about Get Out and one guy, I was like, it's amazing. It's so smart and original. And this one white guy was like, "Mm, it's like been done before. And I was like, where? What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, this one dude. And then this other guy was like, uh, to my reaction, because I had a white boyfriend at the time and I was going to meet his family and I was so freaked out. I was like, please, like, do not touch me. Like, after we watched that movie, I was like, just like, pl- no, like, no. And he's like, you know, I would never do that to you. I was like, that's no, exactly what Rose would that. say. Like, don't <laughs> fucking just, just no. And uh, and the, this other guy who was there, who was like the executive producer that of the film shoot that I was working, he's like, mm, don't you think that's like a little bit extreme? And no. I was like, no and then he like went on we had like a full argument for like half an hour he was like don't and i was like listen dude like if i told you some of the shit that's like happened and like the experience that i've like experiences i've had he's like "Mm, like don't you think like some of those are like imagined though hashtag why are men (laughs) yeah literally and he was like "Mm." and i was like no and he was like "Mm." and i was like dude no but that's that's it, right? That's like trying to explain our experience of, of racism and people just being like, no, no, that didn't happen. Like you're fully imagining that. And that's very similar to what Buffy and the gang have to go through 
if they were to tell anyone, like, remember when she in um, Killed by Death, she is like, no, we have to go fight the vampires. And they're like, oh, no, like, it's the fever. She's delusional. It's fine, you know, or she's going to be sent to an insane asylum, as, you know, we see in uh, season six. Yeah, I mean, it's also uh, the principal of the school, the first principal. Like, dude, d- dude, the number of times your campus has been invaded by something trying to kill one or more of your students. And for him to just be like, Miss Summers, why are you always causing trouble? Like, not causing, stopping the trouble. <laughs> yeah. It's or just even just, like, and also like speaking to like the fever part, it's it's like a hysteria used to be how you diagnosed women who were just uncooperative or were like, my husband's awful or I'm upset. Like I want to be doing more than being stuck at home with kids, depending on what class you were. Some women just had to go to work, but like the diagnosis of hysteria of like not seeing the thing that causes pain, right? The modern equivalent is borderline personality disorder. Uh it's like there's a whole bunch of trauma there that you don't want to address and deal with because you'd have to deconstruct patriarchy. So you just say that they're untreatable. Uh, yeah, so I exactly. think it's, it's a pretty that's a very on the nose I, example with the fever. I like to I like to think. And on that note, like not only does Buffy have to hide her identity as like the vampire slayer, but and like the denial of everyone around them that the vampires exist, that they're demons, that, you know, shit is weird also makes everybody way more vulnerable. Like, people are not safe. If they were all prepared, and we talked about this, like, if they were all prepared and carried stakes and carried crosses and carried holy water, like, how much safer would everybody be if they just accepted that, like, yes, we this is a, this is, we live on a hell mouth and demons exist, vampires exist, and we're all, like, at risk, you know? If people acknowledge that racism was a thing, it would and had tools to fight it. I mean, it's not as simple as a, I think, you know, carrying holy water, but we would be able to di- we would be able to dismantle the system a lot easier. I think if people would just fucking own up. Yeah, I mean, and I think somebody on Twitter was saying that it was it was it's wasp culture that has sort of brought mm. us to this point of you don't talk about like. Was it politics, money, or religion? Um, <laughs> also, racism is like the fourth one that we don't talk about, um, and I think that's that's very true. It's like if you have to, if you're breaking the veneer of nice, and I think that's a lot of what Sunnydale wants to do, right? It, judging from it, it's a suburban town, a college town. We discover they they're big enough to have essentially a UC. So, like, it's a pretty nice town, frankly, to have a UC in it. You're either in the boonies with nothing. Um, or you're in a pretty nice town. So, you know, the veneer of nice that the town has is what they're trying desperately to hold on to. Um, and I think that's truly what it is. Unless that, like, people are like, I don't see it. It's, if we admit there's a problem, (laughs) you know, we're breaking some sort of weird silent code of niceness and pretend. Step one, baby. Admit you have (laughs) a problem. problem. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens, right? Like we talked about how in graduation day, finally, it's like this, the school, at least, at least the seniors with the 
at prom they give Buffy the class protector award and they like prepare everyone and everyone has crosses and holy water and whatever. They have all the tools they need to fight the vampires, fight the mayor. But it's only until then. We've gone through three seasons of Buffy where no one ever participated. And it's like a really it's it's my favorite finale actually. Um right now at least. But those two episodes are like my favorite finale because I love that everybody just it's like a little army and finally we see everybody being like okay no enough you know we're done I like it with the exception of I'd also like to point out that like while they do form a, a nice tiny little army to fight back they literally do not fight until they are sitting in their seats at graduation where they can literally be picked off one by one which is a phrase that you're probably <laughs> familiar with if you've seen a later episode like they still wait till the last minute in hopes of I don't know what. <laughs> but instead of, like, even being proactive in protecting yeah. themselves, they're like, we'll wait until the atrocity comes to we'll us. Wait until, yeah, we'll wait until they attack us before we take action. Or, like, until we admit that. I mean, I guess that was it. It was, like, truly a life or death situation. Which I would like to tie to uh, the current treason happening here in America. So I think as of today, we're, like, a mm-hmm. week out from mm-hmm. treason and quite literally um there are senators who didn't want to say anything until there were armed gunmen with zip ties looking for them and building nooses or gallows i'm told gallows is the word um you know on the capitol <laughs> like you weren't ready to fight back you couldn't admit that there was racism that was and white supremacy and all of these things going on until literally you are pinned down in your office with people coming for you. Like so art imitating life, also ignoring the problem of racism or the problem of vampires, however you want to look at it. Again, like it's such a point of privilege to be able to wait, you know? Seriously. To be able to wait until you're confronted with it because there are people who are confronted with it every day. Like I'm uncomfortable when I'm in a room full of white people. I do not feel safe. I'm like, "Mm, this just doesn't feel good. And it's also exhausting. Yeah, it is exhausting. Um, Yeah, like, it's actually kind of surprising that it takes Buffy so long to just be like, I'm done. Um, It's always surprises me. (laughs) It always surprised me that Willow, of all people, never was like, I'm tapping out. Um, But, like, we'll get to, to, to why that is. Um, as we go along. Yeah, fun stuff. Party. Party people. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's part of why I liked Buffy so much as a kid was that it reflected that kind of part of my reality, even if I didn't fully understand that, that I always felt like there was something like justice to be fought for as as a child and like growing up. And I just like, I, I didn't have the words to articulate racism or systematic oppression the way that I do now. Um, God forbid, like, anybody use the words white supremacy. But it, I felt it. I felt it constantly. And I felt that in the show somehow this, like, res- resistance or this, like, resilience to a reality that is imposed on you. And you just got to keep fighting, as they say. And I think it's it's part of it is – her their refusal to die um i think Mm -hmm. is really relatable for people of color like one of my favorite things to tell people Mm -hmm. it's like when ruth bader ginsburg died and every woman who'd ever you know had a notorious rbg shirt was like oh god it's the end of the world and you know 
like I remember very clearly being on Twitter and going, look, I come from people who don't die easy. And I think most people probably can tell you like we came on boats, whether it was in the bottom of them or to escape persecution, you know, whether it was Mm -hmm. a rowboat from Cuba um, Mm -hmm. or Haiti or the bottom of a slave ship or getting here and the Chinese Exclusion Act saying you've got to go back like people here don't die easy. Even hell, I'm going to say coal miners, like the poorest Mm. of poor people do not die easy. And I think that's what a lot of people identify within Buffy. It's your scene Mm -hmm. because you recognize like that strive to survive no matter what. No matter what, no matter what. I remember when Trump was elected in 2017, right? No, he was elected in 2016, but like went into office in 2017. Is that right? And I remember my boyfriend at the time, the same one that I was like, please don't touch me after we saw Get Out, was like so devastated. He's He was white. So devastated that Trump was elected into office. And it was it, – I was upset. Yeah, I was upset. But listen, my parents come from Latin America. I have seen shit, you know, so much shit. And I exist right now because of things like that. I exist in the world because of coups that like – that kind of happened and they tried that they tried to do in the US. My family moved here from Chile because the US put people in power there and then killed a fuck ton of people and the same thing happened in Venezuela and it's anyway, I'm not going to get into that right now, but like my existence is that. And so I know like I survived, we survived, we continue, we've continued to make a living, we've continued to thrive like on un- beside all circumstances like here I am you know on the podcast talking about this and my grandfather was disappeared by the fucking state in Venezuela by U.S. like militia so no like I'm not gonna die I'm not gonna die easily and that's what's so powerful about Buffy is like having well parts of it you know we critique it but we love it for certain for certain reasons and that's something that Buffy has like reminds me to keep fighting and that there is I can keep fighting I have power even if I don't look like her. Yeah. I mean, I, I fully agree with that. And I also think part that to me that folds into that survival is that like you don't have to be the same person you were at the beginning of whatever the struggle was. Um, and you get to be lots of different people between whatever point and whatever point, which is something that doesn't mm-hmm. often happen in TV shows. Uh, a lot of characters start one way and are that way the whole way through. Or they start one way and the there isn't a lot of in-between, but they suddenly become like the opposite, whether it's good or bad. Uh, this was a show mm-hmm. where you saw the genesis of every character. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the exception of a few, it was kind of like, all right, it's a little bumpy, but overall, we're going to be fine and, and accept you and, and roll with it. Uh, and I think that's part of survival. It is part of survival. Like, you know, it's you're adaptation. a doctor in a foreign country. You get here. They won't take your medical license. Great. You open up a store. Like, here in yeah. LA, um, something that's ubiquitous for us, if you've ever been to Los Angeles, is the pink donut boxes um, and the proliferation of donut shops. And it's actually because it was one of the only things that usually Vietnamese and Filipino, um, like, American citizens... It was the only business they were allowed to open. And there was, like, one place in, like, downtown L.A., I think, that makes these pink boxes. And so it was representative of people who were doctors and lawyers and whatever. And the only thing they could do 
was baked donuts. Like that mm-hmm. was it. But like, and we see those pink boxes in Buffy all the time. Exactly. And so it's like they got they are somebody else between point A and point B. They have been many people mm-hmm. in order to to survive. You know. So yeah, I think you know that's, that's also it. part of part of the invisibility and visibility, if you will. Yeah, and that kind of ties into the denial of like people of color's value too right is i mean we'll get more into it because there's episodes that like really do talk more about that but the denial that you know immigrants come here and they can't have the same jobs that they had often right like you're like you were just talking about i have a cousin that just came here and he was a doctor and he cannot practice here um my grandfather was a teacher in chile and he worked in factory here so what you see is systemic and and a lot of society and white people in media like put immigrants down when they don't understand how much value they bring and and that here they do the job so that we can leave, live in luxury right like I can live in luxury so like and not that I have a cleaning lady but if I did it's like who else is going to come clean my house you know what I mean yeah oh there's also so that actually ties into um uh Jesse and Cordelia so like mm, yeah people don't have value until you have some sort of power um, which mm-hmm. I think ties into like the model minority myth too. Um, mm-hmm. Again, um, depending on where you are, uh, there are recruitment, uh, not recruitment quotas, but like there's a lot of headhunting uh, at prestigious colleges for Asian or Asian American kids because they assume that they are going to be STEM geniuses who will bring them research money. Um, they're they're not valuable until there's power, and also once they get to campus boy, does the racism jump out. Um, You know, black Mm. kids aren't super important unless you can put a ball through a hoop or an end zone, right? Mm -hmm. Black folks don't have value to colleges until you can do something and make them that NCAA money, right? Um, And so that's like the invisibility as much as I like... Don't like using white dudes. You know what would have been cool? You know what would have been like a cool character of color if Oz had been a person of color oh my god a weird black boy yes like th- that would have been <laughs> so cool man uh in a band playing bass being like awkward and of course and he can notice willow you know <laughs> yeah and of course he would notice willow because like who's that invisible girl who's like actually super hot you know yeah i love how he tried to pretend allison hannigan wasn't attractive for like four <laughs> seasons like excuse me <laughs> <laughs> that ugly sweater not hiding anything <laughs> <laughs> but oh my god that's actually brilliant oz is black that needs to be a fan fiction somebody yeah, get on that man. and somebody listening can do that for me <laughs> yeah or like a weird latino kid or an afro latino kid or like a like any like literally that would just be cool it would be and honestly every time a show has tried it has been terrible so like i don't think joss Whedon could have messed it up any worse than anything else i've seen to be honest <laughs> Did you watch Runaways? Runaway? Oh, wait, like the comic book one? Yeah. Yeah, I was obsessed. I was so upset when they canceled yeah. that. That was that's, great. That's, that was good. That uh, See Runaways for a good example of children treatment of people of color. Please. Just a quick, The Runaways is a currently running Marvel comic book series. You can get the trades. It's actually pretty great. It's set in Los Angeles. But before Disney bought uh, Marvel and everything Marvel created, there was a run, a TV run. Uh, I think it was three seasons. Uh, and most of the kids are kids of color. 
Uh, one of them who mm-hmm. actually is white in the comics, they made Latina. And it's super good. It's teenage superheroes, but like in a realistic, like this is what would actually happen if you had superpowers and you were a teenager mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so go read it. It's still running and definitely check out yeah. the show on Hulu. It's super good. And it's on Disney Plus now, too. Oh, great. It's on Disney Plus. There you go. Um, Let's see. Is there anything else to talk about in denial of... Killed by death? Or reality. Killed by death. We talked a little bit about it. Like, they just gaslight her. So Killed by Death is the one where Buffy's in the hospital in season two. And it's the, it's the Freddy Krueger episode. It's yeah. the Nightmare on Elm Street episode that Kristen loved so much. <laughs> <laughs> like, they don't want to believe her. They just legit don't want to believe her. I'm like, it makes until no there's sense. Proof. And I think that's what like ties it, it into invisibility. Like mm-hmm. you could like, like if all of your previous experience <laughs> with someone <laughs> points to something, <laughs> but you like magically don't believe them. Um, I tie this to, uh, you know, police violence. So mm-hmm. if we can like not count on our hands the number of you know black and brown people shot by cops. Um, flagrantly. Uh, please explain to me no. why every time it happens, we go, that can't possibly be what happened, despite having video evidence, right? It's that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so this is that very specific moment where it's like, if you just stop ignoring history and contextualize this mm-hmm. very specific thing, mm-hmm. it actually mm-hmm. makes quite a bit of sense. Um, so it's like that mm-hmm. invisibility of, of lived experience. It's just so blatantly embedded in society if you just look, you know? All you have to do is just look, and it's there. And I think that the gaslighting is, like, ridiculous. And and Willow's always the only one who ever believes Buffy. Because you know, Willow's she's always the like, best mm-hmm. one out of all of them. Let's be clear. She is. <laughs> <laughs> that episode of Doppelgangland when Xander's like, she was truly the best of us or like giles says like he, she was truly the best of us and giles, and xander's like much better than me and giles is like much much better than you <laughs> no <laughs> lies detected and yeah like again like the fever you can only see the monster if you have the fever and just like how racism is often only seen by the people who experience it that's the truth Yep. You know, it's easier to see if you feel it. And sometimes it's even hard to see when you feel it because microaggressions are hard to decipher, you know, it's, and it's a lot because they happen all the time. Microaggressions happen all of the time. And I think, you know, in June for me personally, at least, I don't know how it was for you, Mac, um, maybe you were like more in tune with your own experiences, but I was like having all of these flashbacks to experiences that I'd had. And I was like, Oh, that thing that felt off, that person was racist, you know, over and over and over again. Yeah, I definitely, I've definitely, like, so I've, like, learned to be very heavily, like, self-reflective. And so I often, like, okay, so if I've, like, done all this thinking about it on my end, that means there's something else happening, and it is, like, one of, like, four things, right? And I sort of assume I'll figure Mm -hmm. out which one it is eventually. (laughs) It's like someone's yeah. being homophobic, someone's being racist, someone's being sexist, <laughs> like, mm-hmm, someone's exactly. being ableist. And usually, those are the four. like for you and I, yeah, and for you and I, it's both, right? It's like sexist and racist. So the sexism that we experience is always going to be combined with racism if it's coming from a white dude, like yeah. always, or a white woman even. It's like they're together and it's very rare that 
I think that I experience one isolated from the other one, frankly, because there's so much internalized racism too. So, and I've acted shittily too to people of color. You know, I'm not going to say that I haven't. Yeah, I think we all do until like we, you know, you you can do better till you know better. That is not that quote. Yeah, exactly. But like, y'all know what I mean. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think until a lot of us. Honestly, I think a lot of us until we get to college, which I think is unfortunate, like that gatekeeping of that in-depth analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, mm-hmm. the Internet's spreading that out. But I think for a lot of us millennials, until we got to college, <laughs> sort of deciphering yeah. the ways in which internalized um, racism affected how we interacted with people was like it was impossible until we got to college. Yeah, it was. It was, And it was hard to articulate. And I remember even talking about it with family members and saying like, well, I wasn't given this opportunity. Like my blonde white friend was like cast as the lead in the play and not me, even though like I'm just as qualified um, and just as talented because I'm not white. And family members were like, no, it's not that. Like, it's not that. And it's like, what do you mean? Of course it's that. But there's such a refusal also of, I think our older generation, I don't know, at least my family to like admit that to just, confront that issue of like we don't have control over everything the system does impact us yeah i think it i think it also sort of comes up partially in in buffy too like if you work hard enough it'll be mm-hmm. fine mm-hmm. <laughs> and like that's no. categorically false, <laughs> categorically false right <laughs> And, and, you know, it's very much like like you're saying, you know, in your family, well, like the Watchers Council, well, if you follow these rules, it'll be fine. Clearly not fine. <laughs> you know? If you follow these rules, you will, you will surely die before the age of 21. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it, it's that, right? It's the invisible. And it is that. It is that because I think society also tells us like if you follow these rules, you will – it's almost like I feel like I've been asked to give away my life, you know, my work, my value. I've been asked to believe that the things that I do are not significant or worthy of whatever, acknowledgement, payment, anything. And only now, you know, at 27, am I like, whoa, whoa, hold up. <laughs> hold <Yeah>. up. <laughs> that person is not going to look nearly as good without my support. That person is not going to have those ideas without my without my support. My experience, my lived experience provides information that is so invaluable. And I was, like, being scammed into believing that it wasn't valuable. Oh, yeah. We're taught to be self-sacrificing. Like, yeah. Just like Buffy is, right? Like, you're going to fight mm-hmm. until you die alone, until bleeding die. out somewhere. Yeah. Um, and you and know, it's really weird that she's not alone and that she has friends helping her. That's weird. Right? That's and, like, they wrong. disapprove. And, like, you know, the patriarchy, which is the, with the you know, council, you know, is like, no, 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 no. This is unacceptable. Right? Um, and it's why people find it super unacceptable. Like, when we took it to the streets this past summer, that you had people of all races and colors going let me tell you what we're not going to do, right? That challenged the patriarchy in an extremely uncomfortable way because it wasn't people being self-sacrificing, going, oh, that's just another dead black man. It was a whole bunch of people coming together saying, <laughs> you thought. And like, 
people really hate it when I say this, and I say it all the time, you know, I was raised with the confidence of a mediocre white man. So, like, whenever I hear people go, like, <laughs> I was taught to, like, yes. like not. Yes. When other people are always like, you know, I don't raise my hand and I don't say things and I feel like, you know, imposter syndrome and I'm like, yo, that is not how I was raised. <laughs> if yeah. I want to say it, I'm going to say it. I if agree. I want to do it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I take up space when I walk yeah. in a room because I was not mm-hmm. taught any differently. Um, and mm-hmm. that's just the most basic of white men. Yeah. Like, get taught that. So. Yeah. And that's how I was raised also. I was raised to take up space. I was raised to say my opinion. I was raised to raise my hand, you know. And I think a lot of that, you know, is me being myself in spaces and then feeling the backlash for that. It's not, it's not like walking into a space and not – feeling like I can't do it. It's like I do it and then it's like, oh, shit. I guess I shouldn't have really done that, you know, because then people are like, who the fuck is this girl coming in here and like having an opinion, (laughs) being smarter than me, you know, articulating herself better with a better vocabulary or whatever. And I don't know. I just have like a big fuck you to that right now in this moment. (gasps) Fuck you. (laughs) I feel you on that. Yeah, like I always tell people like honestly – I was a really nice little girl until the world made sure I wasn't. And so I just function with a lot of spite. So, like, you want to have feelings mm-hmm. about me coming into space? By all means, mm-hmm. you feel froggy, leap. And we will work it out. Like, <laughs> I will also say that I'm yeah, also six man. feet tall. So I am very intimidating. So most people generally don't want to try me after I've said my piece and been like, you got a problem. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you, let's go. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to pretend like, you know, I'm five foot two and, and yeah. it could be problems. Like, I am fairly intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Um, love that. Love that. I'm five foot six, but I can scrap. <laughs> and I will scrap. The little ones are always scrappy, too. <laughs> I'm not that little. I'm super – I'm above average. <laughs> I feel hey. like we have this conversation <laughs> on a regular basis about how you're, like, average size. <laughs> I'm above average. I'm tall. <laughs> uh, I'm five foot six point five. I was just, my mom measured me over the break. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're how old? And your mother measured how tall you were. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, move on to denial of existence. <laughs> and we've talked we we were just talking a bit about this, right? So yeah. like like we said, there are, it's all it's all interchangeable. The thing that really stuck out to me when I was doing my rewatch of season one and what sparked this entire conversation was Marcy becoming invisible. And I was like, holy shit, this is the most race relevant episode, actually. Yeah. Maybe in the series. Because like it- <laughs> Because it's nothing about her that should make her less important than anybody it's else. About her. It's literally the universe mm-hmm. in high school, like that is your universe that she's in that so devalues everything about her. And if that ain't being a person of color, mm-hmm. then I don't mm-hmm. know what it, it is. It actually like physically, yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing, but literally my body physically hurts. Like oh. I'm like, ugh. It's just, it's like the experience is so real, you know, the amount of times that I think I've walked into a room or been introduced to a friend of a friend or like so many rich white dudes who have literally, will literally just like look over me, like just over me, you know, or like look at me, realize I'm not white and then look away. 
is so it's so it's so many times or like won't include me in conversation or just speak over me it's so exhausting you know it's so exhausting and it makes you believe that it's your fault and I think that's you know why Marcy went crazy and out of mind out of sight because she thought it was something that she did she thought it was something that she was doing and she tried and she tried to be seen and tried to participate and was denied over and over and over again that participation in society and that is just such a real experience and I always wonder if people truly understand what it's they don't they don't because I think some people are like well you know I got passed over for someone who's better looking okay great guess what you can get plastic surgery and straighten your hair or whatever Black don't wash off. <laughs> you know, no, entrenched stereotypes features. about like Asian men being emasculine. Those don't just go mm-hmm. away. But those are reasons no, why we're away. overlooked. Like, okay, this is my favorite weird thing that I know about. Um, feel free to judge me, everyone. It's fine. <laughs> uh- <laughs> okay, I'm ready. I'm yeah. gonna judge you. So there's this very interesting uh, dating community slash um, book community, um, AMBW, Asian men, black women. It's it's a whole hot mess. <laughs> Do a deep dive on Tumblr one day if you just want to lose your mind. But <laughs> one of the interesting things that came from me doing a very deep and disturbing dive is an actual study that somebody did. First, it was just a dating site that did it, and then actual researchers did it. <laughs> and the two groups of people who are least valued and least, like, picked and messaged on dating sites and are voted least desirable are Asian men because of the stereotype that they're masculine and Black women because of the stereotype that they're aggressive. And I was like, so literally, scientifically, (laughs) yeah, we're literally overlooked. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, and... Also, just, like, it's such an invalidation of the our reality, right? Like, again, it's, like, how are you not going to be angry when things are unjust? And it's, you know, it's interesting. There's always a conversation about the angry black woman and it being a terrible stereotype and one that we need to move away from, which, like, fine, fair, and true. But also, like, we are angry and we have good reason to be angry. There's a lot of fucking reason to be angry. That's it. And it's, like, just let people be angry about the things that have been done to them and the things that continue to be done to them. Look, we know? have entire franchises about white men being angry. Like, yeah. Like how many Joker yeah. movies do we have oh at this point? <laughs> because they didn't get laid. We will accept a man's anger for not getting laid more than a black woman for all of the racism that she has to go through. Yep. <laughs> the fuck? The Joker. I think somebody posted this. The Joker should be a black woman. Yep. That would, I saw that would a meme. infinitely more I sense. saw a meme. And that, like, she fucking kills people who tell her that she should smile more. <laughs> that's why she's okay. the Joker. <laughs> on another sidebar, honestly, one of the best scenes ever, it's in, I think, the animated cartoon, though it might have been in a comic run, <laughs> Ivy and Harley are in a car together, and these dudes tell them to smile, and just both of them Ooh. go off. And it is one of the, it's hilarious. Just there should be more villains should be women, frankly. <laughs> more villains should be women. Yeah. I saw a really funny TikTok too the other day of a woman who was like made her like bitch face, which is just like not smiling, right? It's just not smiling. And then it's like when a man 
is has like a serious look on his face. He's like thinking about something really important. He's having a really important thought. And when a woman has is having a really important thought, she's a bitch. Which like I'm fine with. Bitches get shit done. <laughs> Super fine with. Yeah, man. Bitches do get shit done. And if you're intimidated by me being a bitch, like you can just show yourself out. Right? <laughs> it's like you're telling on yourself. Yeah. So, like, back to the episode. I love our tangents. Back to the episode. <laughs> yeah. So great. Yeah. Like, they – like, Mars – and that's what we were just talking about. Like, Marcy's anger towards, like, you know, she can become a homicidal, homicidal maniac because she's invisible. I don't know that I would do the same thing or that people of color would go the same route. But, like, it's the same thing of her anger being justified. Of course, she she's so angry. Why would she not be? Yeah, like, one of the base things that you need as a human is, like, acknowledgement and human contact. Like, <laughs> they do studies <laughs> on survive, babies yeah. about this. Like, and she's oh, not getting it no, from babies. anywhere. And I think the interesting parallel isn't necessarily Buffy, but I would say Willow, who also, mm. not getting a lot of attention from all the places you would think she would, but she has the Scoobies. And yes, are they bonded in, you know grave blood. soil and blood but <laughs> you know they are giving her that and marcy doesn't have that yeah she has nothing i think it would be really interesting if we had known more about marcy's home life like was she a foster kid because that would add up i mean i also think just because it is clea duvall in the middle of like the 90s and 2000s that she was also probably gay just because it's mm. a clea duvall character <laughs> I think casting Clea Duvall uh, might have been a very unsubtle, coded Joss message. Mm. As we discover with lots of shows from this era, as people are doing retrospectives and they're rebooting shows, they're going, oh yeah, we couldn't do it very explicitly, so we did this instead. But then she also, she found her community with other people like her. Again! Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hell yeah! (laughs) And and that's the thing, too, of like, people of color are not recruited by the fucking FBI to be spies. I mean, Cointelpro tells us otherwise. The American Indian Movement tells us otherwise. So, in fact, there's a precedent, in fact, <laughs> for people of color okay, being recruited. <laughs> you know what? I take that back because, like you said, Nikki, like people who have to survive will survive, will fucking survive. Yep. And they'll blend in. And, like, we, we had this conversation when we were talking about Anne about how Buffy has never been good at undercover because she's never had to be. But a person of color would be fucking great at, at undercover. Yeah. You have to blend in. You have to be able to speak in the way that people around you are speaking, wherever you are, and dress accordingly, act accordingly, stand accordingly. So I, we're moving basically into denial of existence. Yeah. Oh, we – no, no. We are there. So Anne. Anne is such a – it's such an episode. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we need to take a break and get a cocktail, but we're not going to do that. (laughs) Would be nice. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, 
that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein. Erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Okay, first things first is um, she can cut and run. Like, find mm, me a person of color can. who can just cut and run. Nope. <laughs> I mean, people do it. They find a way to do it, right? They do. Yeah, but there's but usually great hard. consequences. Yeah. I was thinking about the episode and, like, in my rewatch and and the fact that Buffy – you were just saying this, like, that she had enough money to leave and enough information and background to be able to find an apartment, have a credit check maybe, or, like – get a job and be stable in LA like wherever she was on her own at 16 is a lot of privilege and like they they make this comparison in this episode between her and Lily and that she's just strong you know she's just stronger than Lily like emotionally and mentally and it's like yo Lily has been surviving out here for a minute and Buffy like comes from a place and a background and a support system where she could thrive even on her own because she knows a she can always go back yep and because she had enough information to do so where lily has been like on her own and i just i don't know i have a hard time buying that she would have been so reliant on other people taking care of her in order to survive it's unrealistic so like that's uh that is a like disadvantaged character being written by somebody who's never been disadvantaged Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. were mm-hmm. you the one who's telling me like when Gabby Bingo. Dunn recently was talking about how like if Faith had been in mm-hmm. Buffy's shoes yeah. and um, Buffy's mom had died like she would have had a plan it's that sort of yeah. thing where it's Faith isn't written that way but like <laughs> notice Faith is always fine she lands on her feet by herself mm-hmm. Buffy gets caught mm-hmm. by other people um, and so this character in writing a, another disadvantaged character likes to pretend that like these characters need to be taken care of and Buffy is you know the one taking care of them it's very interesting I I think uh, Gunn is written similarly even though he's clearly in charge he's still written as like needing angel investigations to like make him legit uh again to validate him yeah, his validation. Fucking, but it's that. It's exactly what we we're just talking about. It's like all of the work and planning and organization that Gunn did before he came to Angel Organizations, Angel Investigations. Excuse me, is not valid until he is surrounded by a bunch of white people and doing it for a bunch of white people and like, yep. like kind of quote unquote like for the right reasons, you know, which is like literal bullshit. It's not real. It's it's false. It's very thin fabrication so then like this episode continues and continues and like ken says kids come here and they have nothing to go home to 
And there's no, again, like there's no, I think in this episode that's really missing is there's no like context of the system. It's just like kids just show up here and they like die, they like go missing and die. And it's not like they go there to become invisible because the system allows it to happen that way. Yeah. So, uh, okay. I know we don't like copaganda shows, whatever. I watched a lot of law and order SVU. Okay. Um, and so the, the, that wording of they have nowhere else to go. They're invisible. That's used by sex traffickers all of the time. Mm. Usually when applied to kids of color from any social class or white kids in foster care or kids in foster care in general, right? But we don't bring that context into the world of Buffy. And like, I live in LA. All of those things exist in Los Angeles, but we never bring it into real context because then we would actually have to be like, who is actually being sex trafficked? Because then it really would be a bunch of kids of color. Mm. Uh, who mm-hmm. are the throwaway kids? It would be kids, <sighs> you know, with drug problems. Why do they have drug problems? Because abuse. Why are a lot of them abused? Because they come from either direct family trauma or, yo, it's traumatic being a kid of color. You got to cross through four gang territories to get to school when you're like 11. The cops have roughed up your brother or you. Like, <laughs> There's just not that many options. Yeah. The system is, it's, you know, we use the word oppression, I think, so often and so casually, but we think about oppression. It's a feeling of claustrophobia. It's a feeling of like feeling so tight and you have, you don't have that many places to go. You don't have that many places to turn or paths that you can take. Literally. And you feel that. You like can physically feel it in your body, you know, and, I think that's why it's so important that we take up space and we're taking up space here in this conversation. Like, hey, we're here. We have opinions. We have a truth and we're going to talk about it. Yeah. And people are going to listen, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, if we if we want to look at not just buffering, but I think if you look at any podcast and there's several about Buffy or the Vampire Diaries or any sort of pop culture, like 99% of them are entirely white. And even the ones by people of color Almost all of them will say it's quite literally because white people are not having these conversations or inviting folks to have these conversations or or even have multi-ethnic or multi-racial hosts, right? So, like, even, like, level of oppression, like, even when we just want to talk about some shit, we have to talk about it in the frame of being the opposite of of white people. Yeah. Because, like, I would love to just talk about fucking Bonnie on The Vampire Diaries, but we also have to talk about, like, why Damon as the bad guy is, like, super hot and worthy, and I can't name a single (laughs) black guy who's the bad guy on a TV show that we are all obsessed with. Yeah. Same with Spike. We love him, but, like, can't think of a single black guy (laughs) that has the same. No, that's a great – you know, I'm going to think about that for the next few days. I'm going to think about if I've ever seen – oh, I mean – Okay, not on a TV show. The Black Panther, but that was on purpose. Oh, but that's also just Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> I know, but he's so hot. Uh, like, like, nobody can never speak a word. And we would all be he literally like, doesn't yeah. need to speak a word. Does not need to speak any words, none. But, like, it's great when he does, though. But, yeah. like, also just doesn't. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, that was great. That was fucking great. That was, that was wonderful. <laughs> 
just, um, it's one of those things, yeah, where you just, you go, okay, everything we do is in opposition. Because, like, you know, we talk about Willow on this show. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone ever talks about Bonnie uh, from the Vampire Diaries in the same way we talk about Willow. Even though mm. their power levels are analogous, to be quite honest. And note, mm. you know, spoiler, it, Bonnie so... doesn't go super yeah, evil don't... and try to end the world. <laughs> 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 I think about that too. Like Willow goes and is like, "I'm gonna end all the pain for everyone because I can." It's um the school shooter theory. Um, yeah. So it, white men and some women, but mostly men, um, they're raised to believe that their problems are the world's problems. Um, whereas people of color are taught that when things are wrong, it's something inherent about themselves, which is why they drink themselves to death. They do drugs, etc. Same thing with women. Um, they destroy themselves. <laughs> that's it that's literally it that is that's it that's the biggest difference is that you are taught that it is when you're a person of color you're taught that it is you you are the problem and you're not the problem you're not the problem they're the problem you know and it's a lot it takes a lot to truly believe that and I'm still working on it personally I think about like so many times in my life where I've come out and been like, oh, I did something wrong. I was inappropriate. I'm not likable or whatever. And like only more recently, I'm like, nah, they're just racist. <laughs> Hashtag they are racist. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's like a very universal experience where like people will tell you that like you are wrong. You are too aggressive. You are not ladylike enough. You are, you know too sexy which is what a lot of my latina friends get mm. um and even a lot of my asian mm-hmm. friends get like i'm like i'm sorry <laughs> are you telling an adult mm-hmm. woman uh <laughs> with a job wearing business clothes that she is too sexy excuse you like so that's very accurate and even it's a problem in world there is something inherently wrong with kendra no there isn't there's, there's nothing something wrong inherently it. wrong with kennedy and everyone hates her no, there isn't. She's just not the white girl Tara that we all want. And yeah. my favorite, yeah. Faith, who is our stand-in for a black woman, uh, there's nothing inherently mm-hmm. wrong with her. She's, what, 16 yeah. when she shows up? There's nothing wrong with her. She just is a survivor. But she's taught that she is wrong and she is bad. Kennedy she's had to survive. Yeah. She's been in circumstances where she was forced to survive, and she's shamed for having been in those circumstances. And that's it. It's like being shamed for the places where society puts you and you doing what you have to do to get through it. Yeah, same thing with Kendra. Kendra did her job. She was alone, Mm -hmm. had a watcher, was taught how to be a slayer. Why didn't her watcher come to Zanita? Because she's black. Like, I swear to God, no fucking supervision. (laughs) Like, no fucking supervision. Same thing with, like, Kennedy. It's like, I'm sorry, she is a potential. She showed up. She did her job. She was the queer one. She connected with Will. Like, she was put in a situation she didn't ask for. And she's super hot. She really is. She's just literally not Tara. Like, <laughs> is literally yeah. what it is. And she's made to be yeah. unlikable. Just like Kendra is. Mm-hmm. Just, just like, like Rona. Exactly. Yeah. Just like Forrest. Just oh, like... Forrest. <laughs> Forrest. We'll say. We'll save that conversation. We'll talk about this. Well, look, we, you know, we'll talk about this another time. To get back to Anne, let's get, let's come back. <laughs> bring it um, back. <laughs> let's bring it back. Let's reel it in. You know, all these kids are taken off the street. And we kind of, you know, but 
we talked about this a bit, but to, to kind of just like tie it into the point is that these kids are taken off the street because they are invisible to society and they are forced to work as slaves, c- c- like brainwashed and put into believing that they are no one to benefit. We don't even know who until they literally shrivel up and die. And then they are spit back out because they're no longer wanted and because they can't work anymore. I'm sorry. Please just like, do I even need to say it clearly? Like, I mean, I will say it. That is the school to prison pipeline. That is sex trafficking. That is every way in which Mm -hmm. we take kids of color or I will even say uh, working class kids Mm -hmm. um, and Mm -hmm. tell them that they are nothing and that there is nowhere that they can go. And then when they Mm -hmm. end up in jail, usually on some trumped up charge, I'd like to point out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. we get really surprised when they come back out and they commit crime well you didn't really give them a lot of options yeah like you know someone who taught at middle schools in in mostly um underserved communities and i look at what those middle schoolers were learning versus what i learned i was like you're setting these kids up for failure 100 percent. 100 percent. anyway buffy goes something's wrong here and then she white woman's her way uh, to the front. She tries to quite literally white savior the situation. Uh, she tries to go in super stealth, but she is terrible at uh, going undercover. So she quite literally kicks her way in, gets herself captured because, per usual, she doesn't have a plan other than to kick her way in. She is the only one who remembers who she is and her name. And she is the one that has the strength to remember and to quite literally white savior all of the other people who have been uh, stripped of their identity and disappeared. Uh, The problem Mm -hmm. with that being there has not been a single revolution in which it is a sole, deeply empowered, uh, stronger than everyone else white woman who has saved the day. Uh, the implication that any of these, like, honestly, like, like Buffy doesn't uh. have the resiliency uh, to do that because she's never had to survive. While Lily, who's had to survive, realistically would in fact be the one uh, to remember who she is, to be able to survive mm-hmm. and hold on to her identity because that's what you have to do in order to survive. Again, it's my mm-hmm. faith argument. Faith never stops being faith because faith knows who she is at her core and has had to maintain that in order to survive this entire bit is buffy saving people who in reality would save themselves <laughs> mm-hmm. that is yeah that is it <laughs> and also like buffy has had to survive you know obviously like we've seen her fight to survive and we've seen her die and come back um at this point once she has had to fight to survive under a very different uh circumstance yeah under a circumstance of a lot of support a lot of privilege, a lot of safety. I mean, you know, and uh, like, obviously she's been unsafe because, you know, demons, vampires, the hellmouth, but not the kind of un- like instability, I guess, that these street kids have had to come from. Yeah. The type of unsafe that they have experienced. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So our last point of denial of value, which we have talked about a lot. Um, but the episodes that are, I think, really tackle this are Checkpoint and Helpless. Yes. The Replacement and Lies My Parents Told Me. You know, you said earlier, and I just completely agree with you, that the Watcher's Council is 
just the perfect example for white supremacy and like why they two times in two episodes come in and say, we're going to test whether or not your value is accurate. (laughs) Not only that, are we going to strip you of everything that you have to make you powerful and see if you can still succeed? What the actual fuck? That's quite literally what Angel does. Like, Angelus. Like, when you're doing what the evil vampire does, I think we should think about our choices. (laughs) (laughs) But they're the same. Angel is an evil white dude. That's how evil white people act. Yep. I mean, it's kind of like um, almost almost any like workplace that you've ever been to, especially like big ones. Mm. Somehow it's <laughs> always like someone who got hired because they knew a manager uh, somehow becomes a manager and gets like questioned mm-hmm. the like five people of color and or women uh, who work there. <laughs> and they're like, I expect you to achieve what I have achieved in exactly way I have achieved it. And like, if you can't, you need to go. And it's like, buddy. <laughs> Context. Yeah, it's not how it works. I mean, it's also the college experience for a lot of people of color. So like you're taken from often communal. So like not to cast wide nets, but like most cultures that are not waspy, um, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, are very communal it's like you know multiple generations living in houses you know your babysitters that your cousin or your auntie or whatever like there's a lot of community care within the family and the wider community and then you get to college and it is designed for and by white people uh who really are like independent you are in college the most important thing is you studying the most important thing is you doing research the most important thing is that you will get through this by yourself and then find a person and the two of you will spawn a human and you will take care of that human um just saying and it's very hard like that's impossible when you come from a communal place because like you know that you know my favorite example is you know that like that uber ride to like that that unnecessary class field trip is somebody else back home's like bus fare for a month. Buffy and the Scoobies are a communal thing that keep each other alive. And the Watchers Council is like, nope, we designed this so you must die. <laughs> and you're not dying. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> right. Like in in Checkpoint, they I'm I mean, it was such an infuriating episode to watch. And I remember when when Kristen and Jenny did the did the episode for it they were also infuriated if there was ever a place for like the white supremacy jingle it is here now like the whole episode should just been the fucking white supremacy jingle they come in they shut down giles's store to like verify that it's up to snuff or whatever they tell buffy that they want to make sure that her methods are good enough to handle the information that they're going to give her Because if they don't verify it, then, like, she can't be capable of handling the information. Which, what are they going to do with that information anyway? I mean, like, luckily she figures it out. And she's like, oh, y'all are just fucking sad and alone and have nothing to do. And so you're blackmailing me into, like, you're gaslighting me into thinking that I don't have power in the situation, which is literally false. And that's exactly what I was talking about earlier. I think it actually ties all the way back to what you were saying of, like, people of color constantly being told that they are, like, not enough. 
and that there's something wrong with them um and like not mm-hmm. learning from experience yeah and that also like ties ties into xander's like understanding of himself in the replacement like the xander that we follow that we think is is the real xander and his insecurity that the other xander is better than him and should have his life and can live it better like isn't that's such a real feeling that i'll never be good enough yeah and i think it's and you know again like i always i have to remind people that like xander is the joss whedon insert um but like xander handles it Mm -hmm. in the same way that like most people of color would handle it uh his friends go i'm gonna smack you upside the head and and be like get your life together (laughs) which i think is is quite interesting right (laughs) which just tells us that joss has none of those people in his life Mm. uh considering Mm -hmm. his behavior but his (laughs) stand-in has the right people who are like buddy get it together (laughs) yeah and and it makes me sad to see like watching it through this lens this time like knowing that it was going to be an issue knowing that this was going to be the topic but watching buffy think that she wasn't valuable and watching her doubt herself and watching her think that she had to work harder that she had to prove something it was just so relatable as a person of color in so many situations where i like i'm trying to fight the impulse to prove myself constantly yeah i like again like vastly different upbringings different places um i've definitely been like the the cut off your nose spite your face girl most of my life um so actually it was another friend who watched it who like had that experience of perpetually Mm. trying to prove themselves because i've always been like i am here i did the thing if you would like more well then you should have asked for that so Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. it was actually really eye-opening and i think it's partially class as well it's like an intersection of of race and class Mm -hmm. because i you know was you know still living and was raised in like a nicer part of Los Angeles, well, a more affluent part of Los Angeles. And so, like, the concept of proving oneself, like, <laughs> wasn't mm. something instilled in us very much. Like, oh, you did the work, great. Obviously, there were situations in which people tried to impose that. But, like, again, that confidence of a mediocre white man, I went right over my head that that was something that, like, they were, were <laughs> requesting of me. <laughs> and, like, also in this episode her fucking history professor dude who like is not down to hear her perspective or her input on what could have been happening with it's Rasputin I think right that they're talking about it's just like so infuriating to watch but she just like dismisses anything she has to say like laughs her out of the room and humiliates her for having for having a different opinion and he's like some of us are here to study history like it's called studying history and it's like yo <laughs> who's history not even who's history who translated this history who took down this history because i would like to remind everybody uh that many of uh, books of the bible and lots of old-timey stories were translated by monks who were historically extremely conservative and and, and squeamish mm-hmm. when it comes to sex and violence just putting it out there so like whose history who translated that history because even if accurate history was conveyed who translated it from whatever archaic latin it was into english right um you know we learn more and more mm-hmm. constantly mm-hmm. um like as people are dying uh and first person narratives through letters are becoming yeah. public we're learning that a lot of you know like we had a whole gay president 
did I know that? Yes. Did most people know that? No. But like, it's now becoming clear or even, you know, Malcolm X. Most people Mm -hmm. don't know that he was a hustler, but like, and by hustler, no, I don't mean rich white ladies were paying him. I mean, he had sex with dudes for money. Um, (laughs) Most people don't know that. Mm. Even more like people, the history of him is like, he's super anti-white people and blah, 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 blah. He also had like a long-term relationship with a white man. So So like, who's history? Who's telling the history? Because... Both of those things Mm -hmm. are two things that are not Mm -hmm. in the autobiography of Malcolm X. They are not in the movie about his life. (laughs) But they are factual things that have been confirmed. Mm -hmm. You know? So that's sort of what comes to mind with the the history professor where I'm just like, what? Like, history is not static as much as we would like it to be. I think he needs to go study his history. Well, even like... He needs to go educate himself, sir. Well, even like things that we know that we think we know so like um there's a famous picture of the nazis burning books right it's famous it's in every freaking history book what they Mm -hmm. don't tell you is that those books were at um it was i forget the it was a very long name in german but basically it was an institute that studied sexuality and a lot of those books were about trans folks experiences it was documenting some of the first gender reassignment surgeries and hormone Mm -hmm. therapy and queer identities that they burned those histories are gone those are the only copies they erased those people in their existence off the face of the planet they never tell you that about that picture yeah and in the episode giles is the only one who really calls out i mean not the only one but he he calls it out he says like she fails if you don't if she doesn't do whatever you say and that's it right that's just like such an such an allegory for the reality of like women for sure women of color even more people of color 100 percent. that society tells you if you don't follow the rules exactly then you will fail like you will be punished and many 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 people are punished by society oh yeah when they don't even have an option not to whether you're you know a professor with a phd or you're yeah. a round the girl no one cares like you will be punished <laughs> You're either too uppity with that degree, mm-hmm. or if you don't have one, you're, like, ratchet and low class. Yeah. I mean, luckily, Buffy realizes, and she, like, realizes how much power she has and how much power they don't have. And that's why they're making her feel like she doesn't have power. And that's another just clear metaphor for what is experienced and what I was talking about earlier of, like, holy shit, my experience, my education – my background, the culture that I've experienced, the diversity is so fucking valuable, monetarily valuable to myself, to others, to anything that I touch will increase in value. And it took me so long to even get here, you know? Yeah, because of the rules that were Very impressed upon you by patriarchy and white supremacy. And like, that is Buffy moving from like, her own value being invisible to herself like not just her power being invisible to the watchers council but her own power being invisible to herself to moving to a place where she's like no 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 yeah that's it yeah to all the people of color black indigenous people of color listening to this episode you are so valuable you are so worthy and you can you can like you can monetize that if you want to <laughs> and yeah. if you don't want to also respect but like yeah look if what you want to do is like tell stories and raise kids guess what that is every bit as valuable as like 
wanting to get a PhD and teach on like a wider level. If what you want to be is, I could call them street corner academics. If you want to drop your knowledge via like pissy tweets and Instagram posts, that's every bit as valid as getting a degree. If like your way of expressing your life and your choices is making traditional jewelry or passing on stories or passing on stories through food, whatever it is, like who you are, you are valuable. You don't have to prove that to anybody. You don't have to reach anyone's benchmark. And like, that's what the world teaches you. Like here is the like status that we've, we have as white people like have like created and here's where like they expect us to reach. You don't got to do any of that. If all you do today is, is breathe, you're good. Yeah. And never think that someone is better off without your work because they will suffer without it. Mm-hmm. They need you. Um, Lies my parents told me. Real fucking interesting episode. I really loved it, actually. I hadn't watched it in years because I was like, no, that's like a sad, scary episode. And I watched it like now as an adult who's been through therapy. And I was like, holy shit, this episode is fucking amazing. <laughs> We never watch Angelus murder a slayer ever. And and he's generally implied to be the one that we're supposed to like. <laughs> but what mm-hmm. I find interesting is that Nikki Wood goes toe-to-toe with Spike every step of the way. And that's what I find interesting. So whenever mm-hmm. Angelus is going after somebody, even Buffy, she's at a disadvantage because she loves him. You know, when he's going toe-to-toe with... I think he goes toe-to-toe with Spike at least once. Like, there's always a bit of disadvantage. This is the only character I've seen go tit-for-tat, like, you know, punch-for-punch with Spike. And there's something about that that I think was so empowering in an episode that was so painful otherwise. (laughs) Mm. It's like, you know, Buffy had to literally be, like, on her knees with, like, a sword pointed at her for her to find, like... The ability to fight back. Like, we meet Nikki Wood, who's a mother with a kid with everything to lose, with Spike at his prime. And, like, again, she doesn't die easy. And, like, there's just something about that in the midst of this, like, horrible episode. She doesn't doesn't back down. At all. And I think this is, like, an interesting thing, again, that happens where her value as a mother is invalidated by Spike because – she had a job to do because she had a mission and that somehow makes her less of a mother. And I think that's really common for working moms that society tells you that you're not a good mother because you have a career that you need to pursue. And literally Nikki has to save the fucking world. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that she didn't love Robin any less, you know? And we look at the situation. We look at Spike's mom living in this like beautiful house, rich, dying, caring quote-unquote for her son i don't like what like what i don't even know what we want to label that relationship but obviously not the healthiest one you know not like not a real example i mean we don't really see a clear example of like motherhood in either of them but nikki didn't have the opportunity like the watcher's council kind of comes in and goes this is your life now and we, and we that doesn't mean that she wasn't a good mother and we, we just didn't see it because that's isn't that the case of so much labor of black women is that we just don't see it doesn't mean it wasn't done yeah and like 
you know, even as like as part of Spike's backstory, we actually know more about his mother than we do about Nikki, who's in fact Wood, who becomes like a basically main character's mother. We don't know anything about her. We don't know a whole lot about Wood either. Yeah. You know. And also something that stuck out to me a lot was Spike had the power and the privilege to save his mother from death. Like he had to kill her because he couldn't live with what he ended up creating or like what he ended up being faced with. He couldn't deal with it. So he killed her. But Robin couldn't save his mom because he didn't have any power to. He was a tiny little baby and he couldn't save her from Spike, you know, but Spike could save his mother from the illness that she was faced with. Yeah. And I think what's most interesting, too, is, again, also Wood is somewhat punished for that because Wood comes in and, and what it's made him is hard and, and angry <laughs> mm-hmm. and not like, yes, I'm going mm-hmm. to follow the mantle of this girl who right, is like half so. of my age. And it's and then something that we are uncomfortable with. Right. Like abandonment and, and that sort of thing. It's supposed to make you either self-sacrificing or like a super broken person that we can save and pity. And we don't think about the fact that, like, the trauma of loss and and also probably the trauma of watching his mom fight Spike on a regular basis, um, it can make you hard and angry and mean. And that's okay. But we are so uncomfortable with that in general and especially coming from people of color and especially in this universe. And especially when it goes against what Buffy wants. (sighs) Um, We missed, like, well, one point kind of in relation to – Lies and parents told me not only like is her work, Nikki's work as a mother, just not validated, but also like that idea that black and indigenous people cannot be good parents often is like that's generally the case. And like people of color, but there's different, again, degrees to that. But especially black and indigenous people are not permitted even to be good parents and often in Canada, not permitted to be parents at all. 50% of kids in foster care are Indigenous, when Indigenous people make up something like, oh, I don't want to get the statistic wrong now, not more than 15% of the population. Oh, similar here. Um, there's a there's a huge conversation, especially yeah. in um, the Midwest, where a lot of uh, our Indigenous people were pushed onto reservations. You know, you'll take a kid... Uh, because their family doesn't have running water and then you'll give their foster parent $40,000 a year mm-hmm. in money and food stamps yes. and help when you that could in fair. fact just give that money to, to the parents. So fucked up. Yeah. Or even just, you know, it's also about yeah. culture too. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. no, they're not living in a house with, you know, heat, but like pioneers live that way. Like it's, it's not going to, it's not great, but it's not going to kill them. They're still getting to school. They're still just this home doesn't meet sort of like a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant level of like, it's just this is what it means to live. Yeah. It's just another method of assimilation. It's another method of, you know, they don't have the residential schools anymore, but they have the foster care system. Yeah. So it's the same thing. And and in this episode, I mean, Robin goes to live with his watch. Robin, um, Robin goes to live with Nikki's watcher. We don't know the watcher is or how he was raised or whatever but it's safe it's, to extrapolate he was that not it's a allowed white dude. to be ra- yeah exactly <laughs> a white dude yeah. with money probably yeah. british yeah. Well, yeah. because again my favorite character i will keep saying that um juxtapose faith <laughs> uh and and wood mm-hmm. 
the the one who had to survive Bubsy. on her own what yeah uh, no. who is who is our stand-in for black women yeah and the black guy who was definitely raised by white people who is more easily and quickly accepted mm-hmm. how does he get to be principal and she gets to yeah. be a con a convict it's yeah, proximity absolutely. to whiteness absolutely yes that's it I, yeah proximity to whiteness is so fucking important it makes a huge difference yep in, like your life and privilege that you will have like it just does proximity to whiteness makes it's just changes the game the struggle is real and we can get into that another time i think yeah maybe in the instagram live <laughs> so we have an instagram live that we will be like answering questions about this episode um on the 23rd 23rd of january Mac put some articles up related to this episode to our discussion that people can go read and it's basically like suggested reading. Suggested reading, yes. So I think you can submit questions to us. On yes, the, I believe uh, that there's a way to submit. Slash Invisibipoc. Yes, I think there's a way to submit questions potentially on the website, but I also know like email's an option. And I know during the live, somebody will be looking at like the the stream and we'll potentially be able to catch questions there. It will not be us mm-hmm. watching the stream because we have to talk and my brain can't do both of those things. <laughs> no. Gotta focus. Yeah. So we hope that you enjoyed it. If we missed anything, message us. We can discuss it in the Instagram live. Super down to do that. And like really super excited to see everybody there. Please, you know, join us. Uh, I can't remember the time that it's going to be at, but it should be. It'll be in a post on Buffering, maybe in the show notes here also. And um, yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. I'll talk Thank to you, you next time. Mac, also. <laughs> Thank you. It's always That's fun. Good. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. Bye.